For years, our most popular services here at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research has been research. No surprise there. Uh, market research reports, market forecasts, go-to-market strategy for enterprises and companies. But as soon as we put it up, the second most popularly requested service in terms of sort of inbound interest is AI business strategy. This is where we work sort of individually with executive teams at the head of departments or at the head of companies. This is a topic that without that much promotion sort of garnered a lot of interest, uh, almost as much as research for the first two months that we actually had it live. And I figured if AI business strategy is a topic that people are willing to pay for, then it's almost certainly something more and more of our readers are going to want to learn about. I think AI is going from a point where people are learning the basic concepts to now a place where a lot of enterprises and bigger businesses and uh, even governments and intergovernmental agencies are wondering, how do we put this into action? Uh, one of the best conversations I ever had on the topic of AI business strategy for a podcast interview was with the guest that I've brought back nearly a year later now to the podcast this week, and that is Madhu Shekhar. He's the head of digital innovation for Amazon Internet Services in Bangalore. I spoke with him at the same event. We both kind of gave a presentation at the same event uh, on AI in Bangalore. I got to catch up with him afterwards talk about what Amazon was doing over there and interview him about sort of general AI adoption. And I wanted to do a deeper session with Madhu, who has worked with a lot of businesses, seen a lot of companies go from no AI to beginning to integrate AI, about where to start with artificial intelligence. When it comes to Amazon's work, how do they recommend companies sort of get their feet wet with artificial intelligence? How do they build the basic expertise and build the experience with AI that lets them scale it within an organization? And Matus has some very interesting insights in that category. In addition to that, he talks about how to prepare realistically for AI projects. That is to say, understand the data requirements, understand sort of the iteration and the time needs that often come along with building your own AI and sort of how challenging that often can be. He kind of lays it very frankly what companies need to be able to prepare for. Uh, but in terms of sort of beginning from the grassroots with an AI strategy within a business, I thought that this was a fun interview to cover some of the basic concepts of kind of building competency within an organization. So without further ado, this is Madhu Shekhar uh, with Amazon here on the AI and Industry Podcast. I'm Dan Fagella, and without further ado, let's roll right in. So, Madhu, we're working on this sort of series of interviews around AI strategy. You probably hear it a lot, and I wanted to start here with you. When kind of a C-suite group, you know, maybe maybe the boardroom or, or sort of top executives sort of decide, okay, getting started with AI is is going to be something that we really feel like is going to be necessary for our business. Where do people often have to start? Because we can imagine there's there's a million rabbit holes you could run down. Where do you often recommend in terms of a process there? So Dan, the way I think about it, I and mean, whenever I talk to customers and we recommend how they think about AI, start something like this. We say AI is a set of capabilities that you inculcate in an organization that helps either sort of accelerates your business strategy or in some cases, fundamentally shifts your business strategy as required. At the end of the day, you do have a business strategy. And a business strategy is about two things. It's about being in a position to be able to address your 
customer needs. Your customers have specific needs. You have identified the customer cohort you want to go after, and they have specific needs. And you're building a set of products, services, solutions that addresses their needs. The other is a set of strategies that are around how do I optimally deliver those outcomes to my customers in a cost-efficient, profitable manner, right? These are the two things that you do in a business strategy. And effectively, all that you're going to do is use AI, a very, very powerful mechanism, to do either of these, right? And let's start with what AI helps you in either of these journeys. What AI at its heart helps you do is make predictions cheaper, right? Every day in your business, you predict, you hypothesize, you sort of assess and say, hey, this is something we should do. It's a decision you come to, but you do that based on a prediction. You you can you use a number of mechanisms, everything from gut feel out to analysis and analytical reports, etc., to guide you through that decisioning process. But you're predicting to what should we do next and what are the actions we are going to take. Now, what AI does is enables you to make those decisions or those predictions cheaper. That's literally what it does. Now, there is a set of methods that you probably are practicing in an organization today that has a certain cost to these predictions. And over time, as you use AI and build the competency around AI inside the organization, the cost of doing these predictions and making these judgment calls, et cetera, is going to get lower and lower. That means you're going to have the ability to test a number of hypotheses against customer wants, building better customer experiences, building autonomous systems, automating a number of things that you do day-to-day in your business, make it faster and faster and faster. That means you are generating value to your customers better. And on the other side, you're reducing your cost so that you are able to you know, take the profitability and either give it back to your shareholders or plow it back into new business streams or new customer opportunities that you see. I mean, whichever way you would want to do that. Yeah. And that's literally what it is about. And just to, just to touch into that, I think that certainly that's the promise of AI. And I think, fingers crossed, that's what we could get to. I think with a long enough time horizon, that's almost certainly what's going to happen across you know, almost all business functions. You're talking about prediction, making prediction cheaper. You know, I'm thinking out loud, Madhu, and I want to make sure I and the listeners are going to be on the same page with you here. The prediction might be, you know, uh, like you had mentioned, I think a second ago, which product will the customer want or which kind of interaction will satisfy the customer or um, how much risk will this loan be with this client or uh, whatever those kinds of assessments are. So basically there's Maybe in, in every enterprise, there's certain kinds of guesses, certain kinds of predictions that are made often that are business critical. And the goal would be to work on probably those, those high leverage, high frequency. Right. Yeah. Very true, right? I mean, every day, for example, in every customer experience engagement, you're trying to understand what is the customer's innate need and what is the probability of the customer buying a certain product. You're building a propensity solution to understand which, if you're having a field sales team, you're trying to evaluate which opportunities do I chase. Yeah, right? yeah. Where do yeah. I need to put an actual person on the ground versus have a person call from a call center, right? Or which, in the case of an online e-commerce kind of scenario, you're trying to understand and recommend the right products online to a customer, right? And in some cases, in certain kinds of businesses now in the gig economy, you're trying to identify what is the dynamic pricing in which the customer would actually buy, Right. All of these are predictions that you're constantly making. And the same thing happens. So, for example, uh, another scenario is if you're running a massive sale, you need to ensure that the inventory levels in your warehousing is sufficiently stocked up 
so that you can meet your customers' commitments on their orders efficiently. That's forecasting that you're doing to understand what is the levels of inventory that you need to maintain so that you can meet the customer demands that come across different fluctuating timelines in that year. So each one of them is, is a prediction if you look at it. The same thing with loans. We can go over this across financial course, services, yeah. insurance, etc. And each one of them you will see there is something that we are doing around this. And all that we're doing is we're trying to make this faster and more efficient through AI. Yeah, and, and you'd mentioned, and actually, if you could just repeat the kind of the two things a business strategy does, because I'm personally going to follow through with this interview kind of with those two things in mind. You'd mentioned kind of two highlights. I just want to bring those to the fore for the listeners again. Your business strategy has two parts. The first part is around the products and services you want to service your customers. So the customer has a specific set of needs. Yeah. You're working backwards from the customer and looking at, am I servicing them with the right products and services that their needs have? When customer needs change, you would change your products and services to suit that target state. Yeah. The second set of strategies that you have is about delivering those products and services in a cost-optimal manner so that you are profitable. Okay, yeah. So th- these are the two elements of strategy, and this is why you, you mentioned kind of. So you correct. You you have your product officers, engineers, whoever it is, and we're focused on saying, hey, are we focused on delivering to the right market space and the right set of customers? Is it our competency, and can we deliver to them the right way? Right? Or do we need to shift this in a particular manner? I mean, are our products still relevant in the market? If it's still relevant, who are these customers and what are we selling? Right, And that's continuous feedback you're receiving from customers and you're positioning your products to them and you're taking your product strategy along and your services strategy along that direction. And on the other side, as you're delivering that, you need to ensure you're able to deliver that in an optimal fashion. Right, and That comes with the various optimizations you have to do within your business on how to deliver that outcomes that customers are asking for at scale so that you can grow your business and become profitable with it. So these are the two directions of strategies that you have. And in both of these, AI can help you, you know, amplify it or sometimes even change the strategy. The, the interesting thing with AI is that it, it might even reveal things that says, hey, this particular strategy and approach that you have can be done very, very differently. Yeah, and yeah. that data and AI is one. I mean, that's the power of this technology. Unlike previous groups of technologies that we have seen, where we have generally looked at marginal savings, AIs can give compounded savings over substantially large business values by shifting your strategy very differently. I mean, IoT, AI, etc., come together to help you do many of these things. Yep, and again, that's certainly the promise of the tech, and hopefully we'll see more and more bigger businesses yeah, I, sort of taking that to heart. You brought up one example here on the sort of efficiency side of, of finding these predictions that we make frequently that are very important for the business mm-hmm. and being able to you know make better and better decisions about that, whether it's where we put our sales staff, what kind of offering we present to the customers, whatever the case may be. You know, if, if a business, a group of business leaders at the top of an organization, pu- you know, public, private, whatever, but big enough to really be rolling out AI in a substantial way, they're imagining, okay, we've got a lot of process, potentially a lot of predictions. You know, when you mentioned prediction, it wasn't just the stock market or, you know, the likelihood to pay back a loan, but everything from which of these two interfaces will the customer like the most when it comes to, you know, answering their conversations in text? I mean, that's that, that's so many areas of prediction. It's it's essentially a big endless domain, but of course there are ways to prioritize it. And you probably have a handful of ways that you like to say, okay, if you're, we're going to think about optimizing predictions and operations, you know, here's where we want to think. 
I would guess it has to do with the data availability of those different processes and also the frequency and kind of business criticalness of those processes. But you might have a different way of thinking through it. I'm curious as to where you'd recommend people begin that brainstorm. What is the low-hanging fruit that they should think about sniping? Uh, fantastic. So let me start with this. I mean, a few years ago, things were fairly complex. You actually had to require a lot of data to help build a model. And you would generally have a data scientist and the data scientist and the business strategy teams have to work hand in hand to take this forward. But now, if you fast forward pretty much to today, what you see is it is possible for organizations to get started on AI by using and building a lot of smartness into their processes by using a lot of pre-built, ready-made AI services, if I want to call them that. In Amazon, we call them that as AI services. These are pre-built services yeah. that are readily available yeah. that you can take advantage of and start building smarts into an application. The last time we spoke, as you said, almost a year ago, for example, I picked out Policy Bazaar in India. Uh, as an example, I also picked out Shadi.com. Uh, Shadi.com is basically a matchmaking service for marriages, right? Now, a lot of people upload profiles in there and as part of that they upload pictures right they you upload your picture and what you would have to do is you have to validate the picture is something that can be externally published right Shadi okay, so it's actually, not a private image of some kind yeah no it, it's a, yeah it's not a private image or it's not maybe it's not an appropriate image or sometimes just simple genuine mistakes right the profile photo asks for us you know a single person's picture to come up and you actually upload a group selfie and that's not going to look very right. So you want to identify the right kind of pictures that are actually showing up on the profile of the individual. And previously, Shadi used to have an entire army of people deciding. And that's the whole thing, right? They're deciding which pictures are right to be shown on the profile. And they used to run through this. And today they use pre-built APIs that come from Amazon, like recognition. And what it does is it enables them to automatically detect and clear pictures that are coming in, which means the time it takes from a person uploading a picture for it to show up on their profile page is now grossly reduced. And yeah, that's one of those instances where, like you said, kind of some pre-built service may be able to pull it off. There's Correct. some trained systems that, yeah, can get some of those early jobs done. So do you, I mean, obviously there is a incentive here as a vendor to lean people in that direction to some degree, but do you often recommend that people start with things that have APIs already where it's like, hey, look, you're not going to need to build a crazy machine vision model or, you know, a crazy NLP model yourself from scratch. Find a problem that you can knock dead with you know, an API or a pre-built thing. Correct. So what happens is, yeah, at the end of the day, all that an organization is trying to do is to build this competence around AI. And competence around AI at a business strategy level is about having the confidence to say, I'm going to now have the ability to make decisions and predictions and trust a system to give that to me. Right. And this yep. involves a lot of changes inside the way your organization behaves and a lot of changes in the way you make decisions in your organization. Now, APIs are a fairly quick start way to get success shown and a fairly straightforward mechanism. You can use your existing teams to start building that capability. I mean, let's pick out some very simple examples. I gave you Shadi.com as an example with computer vision, right? Policy Bazaar is an example in India of a company that uses natural speech processing. They use Amazon Poly to take text and then process it. And here is a scenario. I am applying for an insurance policy. I am expected to submit a set of documents as part of my 
policy application process. I have submitted them. I happen to submit the wrong document. One of them, let's say, is the wrong document. Now, typically, I would receive an email, but in India, in a country like this, uh, you know, people prefer a phone call to come to them telling them, hey, this particular document that you submitted is incorrect. Can you upload the more recent version of this document or a corrected version of this document? If that is what you have to do, previously, a call, an agent, a human agent used to call the individual and have this conversation. Today, Policy Bazaar uses Amazon Poly, constructs the sentence in text, has a call placed to the person, and the customer picks up the call, they actually receive a voice message and they acknowledge back using a simple DTMF phone tone saying, I understood the message or I have not understood the message or I need more help around this. Yeah, now, okay. what this does is it, it's a simple way to get started on AI. But if you think about it, the power of this is so amplifying that the cost savings achieved by Policy Bazaar and the amount of efficiency that they have, have achieved around this starts amplifying. I mean, that's a very, very early stage process, right? Yeah. Progressively from there, they've gone to build chatbots and they've started building OCR-based capabilities. They have gone ahead step by step to start building capabilities to mature through this process. Yep. And so here's maybe a way I'm going to try to nutshell where you're headed. And again, as a guy that works at Amazon, I, I understand your required incentives and you know the, the audience does as well, but it's still a, a take that I think has a you know, a, an element that's really transferable here that, you know, maybe my initial gut instinct, not being born and bred in corporate, unfortunately, my do I, or I've always done this wacky entrepreneurship thing. So I, you know, don't get the, the cultural elements to some degree. Sometimes my gut would say, oh man, well, you'd want to find the highest leverage places where the data is available and then where the likelihood of success would be pretty high. And then you would go in and you'd want to work on those big levers. To some degree, there might be an argument and you know, you're, you're kind of hinting maybe in this direction for finding something that we know is handleable by reasonably well-trained existing tools. It wouldn't be all that hard, wouldn't be too much of an uphill fight. And we could tell the boss, we could tell who heads up the department, we could tell the CEO, hey, here's a process, you know, within the business or facing the customers where we were able to leverage AI. This is a little baby step in developing competence. Can we kind of grow from here? Maybe that's the way AI often has to start. Often starts. Yeah. Correct. And then you move to the next step, right? You're okay. absolutely right. I mean, that's a great way to get started. And the, these ready services that are available, I mean, I mean, these services can go to the extent of building recommendation engines. For example, Amazon Personalize and Forecast are ready services that are available that you would leverage in all of these areas. But then what happens is as you start building the confidence in your capability, remember it, the bigger challenge as you go into AI is you're going to now need to hire a data scientist. Hiring data scientists take time. Yeah, it right? does. And hiring good data scientists take even longer. Now, you're going to have them come on board. They have to sort of start looking at your data, understand your data. It's going to take uh, several cycles. I'm not saying you should... Typically, what I've seen some of the enterprises go through is they hire data scientists and they go through months and sometimes almost a year or two before they're able to produce the first outcome. The API services sort of help you and AI services sort of help you in that shape, right? You're starting to deliver outcomes from your AI team very early on, from your technology teams very early on. As your data scientists are getting to start organizing the data, starting to understand what feature engineering needs to be done. And these are things that happens in the AI space. You will have to label the data. You will have yep. to start building the models. Yep. And the early predictions that's going to come out of these models are probably going to have a fairly low probability, right? Yeah. And then oh, yeah. going to improve them. You're going to improve them through a sequence of steps. And it's a very iterative, long, winded process that you're going to go through. Now, 
you have a number of services from managed machine learning services, et cetera, pre-built algorithms, data sets you can all use, but it's still a very, the more data of yours that you want to use, it's going to take a certain amount of time to understand the capabilities of your data, understand what is there. And sometimes some data elements are not there. You're going to bring them in and you're going to start to identify what works for your business. And this takes time. And as the probabilities improve on the decision-making and predictions, you start to depend on it and you start to rely on it to do what you need to do. So during that journey, the AI services help you. And there's a lot of things that you can do very well, very efficiently with those services that you can take to market. Then comes the second piece where you're starting. Now you're starting to depend on your data. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that transition. Yeah, Yeah, let's talk about that transition. I'm really interested in in how you see people doing that right and wrong because I know you've, you've seen a lot of this in action. So lay it on us. All right. So here what happens is on the things that around your data, a lot of organizations, start, I have seen the challenges in some areas where organizations tend to believe that their industry specific thought process, when you think about AI competencies, I would think about AI competencies in terms of, am I doing data classification right? Right. That's an AI competency. Now, classification algorithms and model building that you build for one industry can be leveraged across other industries. Yeah. Right. So the way you think about AI competencies in terms of the way you solve a problem rather than the traditional industry codes of healthcare and manufacturing, et cetera, that's not how you think about them. You think about them in forms like classification, regression, uh, reinforcement learning, et cetera. You think about them in that form, estimation, et cetera. And then you start looking at is this what type of AI problem this is or a machine learning problem this is. And then you try to solve that using a certain approach and you build the competencies around those domains. And whether, for example, if you want to do this, the most typical places where customers start first is around customer service, right? There is a lot of inbuilt data that you have in your organizations around delivering customer service, around opportunity management, around marketing, et cetera. Um, If you have digital portals, you have data around your click streams, et cetera. You can now start building predictions around these very early on and start building models around those. And I've, I've often thought, Madhu, and maybe you'd have a, a take on this. You know, I, I look at the big enterprises, uh, you know, the, the, the giant sectors, the big brick and mortar retailers, the healthcare world, the financial services space where we spend an inordinate amount of our time. And yes, we do see customer service often being kind of a place to start. It all, It's also often what gets the press because if a big bank is doing some new thing with anti-money laundering, they may or may not make a lot of noise about it. But if they do something new for their customers, they do make a lot of noise about it. So there's a little bit of, we hear more about customer service. But to your point, I do think that it often is a place where people think to start. There's kind of two reasons I imagine that's the case. One is that Everybody does customer service. So if you hear about a case study of what someone else is doing with a chat bot or with a phone center, you could do that. While the operations of individual businesses are often so different that maybe it's less transferable, you know, what a manufacturing company does versus what a telco does might be so different that those are less transferable. So it almost takes it to me, it feels like, okay, they feel transferable when you read about them. And so this tends to be where people start, even though to me, I think, oh, customer service, you're going to have to have that model be great if you wanted to touch your customers. Like you're going to have to do a whole nother level of testing and a a whole nother level of grind as opposed to an internal tool where you can make up for some mistakes and not, you know, lose trust or lose market share. Why do you think it's often a landing place for companies when they start off with using their own data? It seems to me like it could be riskier because if you mess up a chatbot, 
whoa, that's a lot of customers that are going to be confused versus if you mess up some kind of internal document search program, you know, your your own employees aren't probably going to quit, but your customers might be annoyed and make fun of you on social media might have a much bigger negative impact. So it seems like customer service is actually a risky place to begin tinkering with bringing AI to life. Why do people start there? Customer service tends to be the area where, you know, for example, you have traditionally existing processes and it is, for example, if you're building a chatbot today, you're not going to build a chatbot that's going to be 100% engaged with the customer across all conversation topics. Yeah, definitely not. Right. So what's going to happen is it's possible for me to deploy a chatbot today and have an agent hop in when there is a challenge in the conversion engine on the conversation thread. Yes, it does have high visibility, but at the same time, it also gives you the most highest returns in terms of engagement, et cetera, where you can bring in. But that doesn't mean, as I said, again, business strategies, there are two parts. Strategies that focus on customer outcomes that you want and business strategies focused on cost reduction. So, for example, the one that you gave around, hey, can I use OCR? Can I use data document processing techniques to build out capability that will bring in optimization in my internal processes, absolutely an area you should focus on. Can I predict the incoming call uh, to a call center using AI to route the, to the right agent at the right time? Absolutely an area you should look at. Each one of them is an area that you would focus on and how you would drive that. I'm going to pick up an interesting example here. I'm going to pick up Lyft. One of the things that they had as a business challenge was to understand you know, as they were growing their business across various geographies, the challenge was for them to understand whether that growth is happening correctly because the real growth was actually dependent on the way users are using their mobile app, right? And this is on both sides. It's the consumer side as well as the driver side of it, right? On both sides, the riders and the drivers have to, you know, feel comfortable with their app. And yeah. they, were, they were collecting millions of data points across how the app is being used. And every time they make a release or a change to their app, the behavior of the app changes and it may work with some of them and some of them may not like it, right? And they have to sort of sense it. Now, apart from just, it's just, just the customer experience, but the fact that they were collecting these metrics is they could constantly look at the behavior of their users and understand across geographic dimensions how the adoption of the app and the usage of the app was moving, right? This allows them to assess business risk. This is the high end of the other equation, right? I mean, this is a classic scenario of evaluating business risk yep. based on using various versions and data sets of your apps across different geographic domains to understand how people are responding to your changes, right? You can, it, yep. it is not directly customer service. It's not that a consumer directly gets impacted by it. It's not the engagement of the consumer, but it is the behavior of the consumer that you're reading so that you can understand whether a certain feature that you deployed makes sense or not. Now, this is a classic example of how somebody can use it. And there are a number of things across this. You can deploy it in areas where you're sensing customer behavior in a call center. I mean, between the customer and the agent, is the call going okay? Are the training methods that we used perfectly good? Number of different areas. And, yeah. you know, you would do that. And still remember, when it comes to manufacturing, a lot of manufacturing organizations use AI to predict their inventory levels, use AI to predict their automation needs, uh, AI to predict their staffing needs, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. They're, they're getting there anyway. I, th I see manufacturing is a little bit True. slower than some of these it other spaces, slow. but yep, they're uh, beginning to chip away and some of them are doing press releases, which might mean that in however many months in the future, some of that stuff will be real. And I trust that some of it is. Um, certainly 
you know, telemetry data, predictive maintenance. Um, there seems to be some robust evidence in that space. The, I know we're coming up on time, Madhu, and, and the Lyft example, I think, hopefully is going to make things click in people's minds. The last short question I wanted to run by you, you brought up something, you were very frank about it. You had said that the shift from leveraging APIs and these kind of accessible tools versus really learning to rely on your own data to feed and train new capabilities within your business, that is a step up. And it's it's a step in complexity, like you said. Sometimes it's going to take a long time to clean the data, to organize it, to figure out what kind of data you need, to figure out how do you need to train your algorithms, which feature you need to train it on. These are not you know two-month projects to, to build out a new AI capability, especially within a, a big enterprise. Um, you are very frank about that. And I think more people in big business need to really understand that this is a I hate to say, I mean, it's almost, this is like doing science here. I mean, we are tinkering with features, tinkering science. with data. We are doing science. So it's, that's different than doing IT. We have entire articles about, you know, just, just how different that is and what that means for businesses. But you have laid it out in a very succinct way. Are there any other things about data? You know, I'm imagining a listener right now who's, you know, coming to the end of this episode and they've already got a project in mind. Maybe they've used some APIs and they're moving into building a recommendation engine because they do a lot of stuff in e-commerce or they're moving to predictive maintenance because they've got enough sensors on on some of their heavy equipment and you know they're all over the world and they know that that's going to be a high ROI area and now they're saying okay I'm headed out to actually breathe life into this to do this science and I know it's going to be a tough journey what are the other things about my data that I should develop as competencies to to kind of keep in line to get ready for how else would you prepare somebody who's going to head into that murky world of their own data and try to build stuff any kind of parting advice here about things they're going to have to learn the hard way or the easy way number one I would start with first I think I think you put it really well it's it's important to understand that AI is science and it's not engineering IT is engineering uh, the only reason we fail in IT is because of poor execution uh, we really know what we want to do how we have to do it and we fail because of poor execution in whatever we do. In AI data science, it's just that you're, you have to iterate, diagnose, iterate, diagnose, iterate, etc., through a set of practices to get to where you need to get to. It's, it's very different approach. And yeah. first, we need to differentiate that discipline. And therefore, you know, you can put a project plan on AI, but the project plan has to be thought through in saying, hey, what is the target goal I will achieve in that particular plan? And things could go all over because it is science, right? So that's the part that we first have to understand to ourselves. Two, you can start with whatever data you have. I have, and it's perfectly okay, given that it is science. Think about it the same way. It's, it's like, I'm going to start with the data that I have, and I'm going to try and predict an outcome today with the data that I have. Engineer, feature engineer it, organize it, go ahead and try the different algorithms, models. What is it the outcome that you're trying to get to? Get that outcome done. As you go through that, what you're going to find is your predictions are going to be of poorer quality. And now you will learn what data you additionally need or what feature engineering you additionally have to do, what labeling you will have to do so that you can do a higher order prediction. This is the same way medical doctors do diagnosis and prescription to you. It's like every time I do a diagnosis, I come up with a set of results, I give you some medication, then it doesn't seem to work, I run more tests on you. The same thing happens in AI. We are going to go ahead and use the data that we have based on the symptoms that you've had, we are going to go ahead, run the algorithms, identify, generate a model, do some predictions. We get to a probability. We go back and improve the data, improve the features so that we can generate a better model, use the better model to generate more predictions, which 
gives us a better outcome and iterate this again and again and again. The issue is not how long. I mean, today the tools are capable of for you to generate new models in a day or in a set of minutes, etc. Depending on the kind of models you want to generate, you can do that very, very quickly. But you have to iterate very, very fast and then have the ability to scale beyond that. That's sort of where we are headed in the journey today. Yeah. I would start with whatever data you have and have the discipline to accept the fact that your probabilities are going to be low for a fairly long time until you've learned what you have traditionally captured and learned. That's the discipline that you go through. And remember, as you go from 30% prediction success to 50% prediction success, the higher and higher you get, the longer and longer it's going to take. Yeah, yeah. To close that last gap of whatever 5%. It's going to be much. It's about, yeah. 90% is in many industries are really, really good, but it may not be enough. Yeah. But you yep. sort of can use that to augment many thinking processes, etc. Yeah. Uh, healthcare is an industry where you need greater than 99%. But there are a number of places where 90% is good enough. You have to choose what is good enough and understand those areas and then proceed forward. Yep. You have to know when to stop as well. Yeah, critical, critical points there. I, I, I really hope a lot of the executive folks, you know, whether most of our listeners you know, are not going to write a lick of Python code, but understanding, you know, how we're delegating to the people who do and, and sort of the expectations here that, like you had said, in engineering, we fail because we did something wrong. You know, in, in artificial intelligence, we are literally experimenting to sort of find new patterns in the world. And this is this is much more akin to a scientific process. And like it you is. had said, you're you're gonna tinker, you're gonna have to accept that it's kind of rough in the beginning. I hope that culturally there's enough of a shift where people can accept that we're not gonna be great at this science, especially given the state of our data when we start, but we know we need to build the competencies. Hopefully where that shift has to happen, people can mature enough to take on that mindset. And Madhu, I appreciate you for making it clear to, to the people tuned in just how necessary that is. So I know that we're up on time, but and I know you and me didn't get to have a cup of uh, South Indian coffee over this interview unfortunately, like our last one, right. which was much, much nicer. But this was still an excellent interview and jam-packed. So I appreciate you being here and sharing your insights with our audience. So thank you again so much. Thanks a lot, Dan. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of AI and Industry. This is your host, Dan Fagella. I hope that we catch you next week. Many of our executive listeners often get great ideas from our podcasts or our newsletters, but they end up coming to us for more help. So they might see some research project that we did with the World Bank, and they might want to do some of their own research on deeper market opportunities for AI in a specific sector or understanding the growth rates of AI in a certain domain. Uh, they might have seen some AI business strategy work that we've done with a pharmaceutical company and maybe ask about things along those lines or see one of the presentations that we've given at the United Nations and ask if we can speak at an event. Uh, and while we certainly do these things, uh, we're certainly involved with clients on pretty big projects on a regular basis. A lot of the time, these messages will just end up in my personal inbox. People will find my email or they'll just find me on LinkedIn and send along a message. And this ends up being actually pretty tough to juggle at this point, given the travel schedule and given all the, the client projects that we're involved in. And few people actually know, particularly people who only listen to the podcast and, and aren't on emerge.com or on the newsletter, uh, don't know that we actually have a service page that lists what we can help with. 
with. So we are not the best at everything, but in terms of what we do, which is mapping the capability space of AI and conveying that to executives in ways that help them win in the market, specific services tailored to that can be found at emerj.com slash services. So here at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research, we work with government departments, we work with public companies, uh, we work with organizations who are serious about making AI a competitive advantage. And again, we actually do list sort of the programs that we have. So many of the podcast listeners don't know this. These messages end up in my inbox and then I'm you know, traveling for two weeks and I feel really bad that I get back to people later. But you can reach us through that services page or simply send along an email at services at emerj.com services at emerj.com from there dylan or marcus or one of our team members will be able to get back to you much more quickly uh, than i would via linkedin so if you're interested in doing more with what you've learned here if you have serious business initiatives related to artificial intelligence and you want to take your organization to the next level just simply reach us at emerge.com slash services that's emerj.com slash services or just email services at emerge.com that's emerge with a j so thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode. Next week, again, we're going to be diving into AI use cases and trends and conveying the transferable lessons that you can bring to your organization. And I look forward to having you here next week.